From First Paw Media, this is Canadian Challenge Tales. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you would give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe too. Your host is Dan Kirkup. Our executive producer is Robert Forto, created for First Paw Media. Hello and welcome to today's episode of Canadian Challenge Tales. I am joined by Adam Robinson. How are you doing, Adam? Doing just fine. Excellent. I'm so glad we are able to get you on. I know you've got a little bit of a different... Um, you know, background, some other dog sports, um, not a Canadian challenge, uh, participant yet. We'll put some pressure on you to do that. Uh, but I'm looking forward to hear a lot about, uh, what you've been up to in Yukon up at, uh, just outside Whitehorse and, and what you're doing with dogs and, and sort of the scene up there. So can you tell us a little about how you got involved with dogs and dog sports? Sure. Yeah. Um, I think when I was seven, I was on a hiking trip and these hikers came by with two Samoids and they were carrying all their gear. And I thought, man, that's pretty cool. Like they're going into the bush with nothing. Like when I grew up, I'm going to have a dog team. And I never thought about it. the years went by. I went to school to be a guide. Uh, when I finished school, I was like, I'm not going to guide. I'm just going to be, I'm going to, I'm going to go be a firefighter or something. Then I woke up one morning and was like, I'm going to go be a dog sled guide. And everybody's like, well, what are you talking about? Yeah, I'm going to go get a job. And I said, where? I don't know. Um, but I'm going to get one and I'm going to be a dog sledder and that's how it's going to go. And so I started applying, I think, in the Yukon and then working, working east. And I finally got a job in Ontario. And that was in 2007 and I still got dogs now. So, Well, that's fantastic. You did winters as a, as a guide. Were you staying up there in, in the summer as well? I kind of did a bunch of different things. So after my first winter, I left and I hiked the Appalachian Trail, missed my dogs terribly. <laughs> so I stayed on and did canoe trips with that same company in the summer. And then I realized that humans powering themselves <laughs> through through something is absolutely ridiculous. The animals are way cooler. So I wanted to work with horses. Um, and same deal. I'm like, I'm going to go be a horse guide. And uh, I started applying in BC and... No, no, no experience, no experience. And then somebody, I got a hold of Sky High up in the in the Yukon, and they said, yeah, come up, take care of the dogs, and we'll get you on a horse. And I said, okay. And they said, when can you when can we, can we you be here in five days? And I said, uh, in Ontario, but I think I can make it. And so I got up there and started working with the dogs and the horses, and, and I decided I wanted to move up to the Yukon. And, and uh, got a bit more involved with dogs and racing and that kind of stuff when I got up here. When did you move up to what, Yukon? Twenty came up summer 2010, went back to Ontario for that winter, and then moved up for good in 2011. Oh, okay, so you've been up there for, for a while now. Um, yeah. And so did you have a lot of, uh, did you have a bunch of dogs already when you moved up, or did you start adding once you got up there? Uh, I brought three up with me. I kind of asked my boss if I could take two that I really liked. And then uh, he kind of said yes. And I told him I was taking one of my little leaders. And he looked at me with these eyes that said, you're going to take her anyway, so you might as well. 
so I came off with three dogs and, um, and then I, w- I was guiding tours and, um, uh, running, uh, the tour dogs mostly in the races I was doing. My girlfriend poached my dogs to, to race with. And so, uh, between the dogs she had, she had two dogs. And then between the three that I brought up, we had a, she had a little team for herself. And, and then I started racing with the, with the kennel dogs and that, that went pretty well for me. Excellent. Yeah. So I know some of the races that we're going to talk about. Um, I know you've done some on a dog sled, obviously with being a guide, you're very familiar and we're going to get to those, but I want to talk a little about, uh, some of the smaller teams you've run, uh, doing ski touring. Yeah. So uh, ski touring is a fantastic sport and that's mostly what I want to talk about because people just kind of, I don't know, they kind of scoff ski touring off as, yeah, okay. You're, you're, you run dogs, but you know, it's, you're not on a sled. You can, o- you can only go so far and only do so much. And uh, to be honest, I felt that way too. <laughs> you know, you see these people with the, the four sticks that they're on or through poles and their skis and you think, what, what can they do? But my wife was really into kind of we you call it long distance ski touring. We had a 120 mile race that that she was doing. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, so the first race I did up here was by dog team with those guiding dogs, and it just got kind of too difficult to take a guide away on the weekend and ten dogs. And so I started doing short races with two dogs ski touring. And I'll tell you, after my first race, I looked at everybody who went further than ten miles and said, "You guys are crazy." Anybody who goes more than 10 miles with these things are absolutely ridiculous. This is the stupidest sport. <laughs> and then, you know, next year came and it was like, uh, sorry, you can't take 10 dogs to go to the races. And I said, well, how about four? So uh, I can probably manage four. So I took four dogs and I got into long distance ski drawing and I fell in love with that. That, I mean, that's once you get into long distance ski drawing, you don't want to do, you don't want dogs anymore. So just for everybody that may not know, um, ski joring involves dogs, obviously pulling um, yeah. with harness, but you are not standing on a sled. You are on skis and I presume assisting the majority of the time. Is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. I think, you know, if you're a good skier, you could assist pretty much 99% of the time. Someone like me is just holding on for the first two, three miles. And then, uh, then I can start assisting sometimes maybe. And I can talk about stories about that when trying to assist and making things go a whole lot slower. <laughs> so for, for but, those that are skiers that, um, I may know already, is it more of a traditional cross country track that you're in, or is it more skate skiing where you have a wider trail and you're actually sk- skate skiing, I believe is the term. Yeah, it would be more skate skiing, but I mean, when you're doing the long distance stuff, you're on, you're on a dog sled trail. So you might not get that four feet perfectly groomed trail. You know, you're, you're running on what the teams are running on. So it might only be a, just over a sled length, sled width, sorry, um, which makes things a bit more challenging, but yeah, typically skate skiing, all the shorter races are usually on wider trails that are groomed pretty good. And then the longer ones are just harder to maintain you're stuck yes. doing what the, what the sleds are doing. <laughs> of course. So for somebody that's interested in doing ski joring, I think it's it's a portion of dog-powered sports that's really going to expand because it's possible with smaller numbers in terms of dogs. Uh, definitely can do it with one or two or more. 
Uh, I'm sure there's a limit to people's sanity on how many dogs they want to <laughs> have them <laughs> drag them down the trail on skis. Yeah. But and it's not restricted to huskies either. I have seen lots of different uh, stuff online about with border collies and more of your hounds and sprint type dogs and German shepherds and like really any dog that's interested in pulling, you shouldn't have too much trouble, you know, doing it with skis. So what would you suggest to somebody that might be interested in, in doing it, trying it, getting involved? What would you tell them? Find somebody who's doing it and, or get a dog that, uh, that'll pull and run for sure. For sure. Any dog can do it. You see the people with their with their pet dog and they're kind of trotting along and they're getting tangled up in their skis just because they don't know they don't know just to run straight and and pull and not chase a squirrel off in the in the bush or anything. So go with somebody who's got dogs that'll that'll go and even if you just take your dog and and you, you chase you chase them that that chasing is phenomenal for your dog to learn to to go forward to to pull and kind of get like okay this is actually fun pulling somebody's actually fun it's really difficult to to go ski during with with somebody again people who can ski better than me maybe it's not a gong show but every time i go out i've got a million stories of things that went wrong you know dog sledding you come back with a couple stories ski during it's it's every few miles you've got some sort of crazy story about it and my wife likes to ski door with other people i i like to do it kind of myself because I'm always falling over or getting dragged or something's going wrong and, and it's just easier for me not to have anybody around. But that, that would definitely be my advice is get out and chase somebody. Chase somebody, get some decent equipment, borrow some decent equipment. Um, having a bungee is pretty key. If you got a dog that pulls and you don't have a bungee in your, in your line, they just pull you over. You, you, got, you don't stand a chance. Yeah, because the connection is around your waist, correct? That's right. You're You're wearing some sort of harness. Um, whether a climbing harness works, that's, that's what I wear. That's what I found has been the best versus something I've, I've purchased stuff and tried ones that were specific to ski drawing and it didn't work for me. So a, a climbing harness has worked. I found and okay. might have that hanging around the house already. Well, I might be able to borrow something from, from someone, right. To, to give it a try, but it sounds like getting out on a set of skis would be a, a good starting point. Mm-hmm. Uh, even if it's not connected to your dog, <laughs> um, you know, it, it just, it's a, it's a possibility for a lot more people than it is to have a, you know, 10, 10 dog team is, is a lot of dogs to deal with for a lot. And totally, if your yeah. pet dog is interested in doing it, or you can get a dog that becomes a pet and a ski jor athlete, then, you know, all, all the better. So a little bit about the racing. I, I think there's variations in distance for, for the ski jor side, you know, with, one mile being sort of the the bottom end. Um, when you talk about distance ski joring, you know, you mentioned 120 miles. Are there many of those races around? No, I don't think there's. I don't think there's any. So when we had that 120 mile race going, we kind of had the the thought that it was the longest ski jor race in the world. That may not be true. We just couldn't find any information about it, you know. But typically. Anything over 10 miles is just doesn't seem to be happening. I think people want those nice groomed trails. And once you start getting over 10 miles, it's just hard to keep the, those trails in. You're working so bloody hard too that probably, I know after my 10 miles of giving her, I'm pretty, pretty over it. Um, 
when you get into the distance, you know, you, you set a different pace for yourself. Uh, you know, it's running a marathon versus sprinting. So like, I, I think at all, all the races, you know, the, the Caledonia classic has got the, the mix. I think their ski touring race is only six miles or something like that. Um, right, so is, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, as far as I know, the few people that we were doing it up here are, are the only people that were really doing any kind of distance. Okay. And I mean, we were kind of laughed at when, when we wanted to do 20 plus miles ski during people are like, you can't do that. You don't, don't, don't try, you know? Well, it's, I mean, you should be able to do it as far as people cross country ski, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, they have right. much longer cross country skiing races out there. That's very true. Yeah. Very true. Right. I mean, there are people that do the Iditarod trail on skis. They don't have dogs attached to them, but I think okay. there's the, what's it called? Iditarod Trail Inter- Invitational, I think it's called. And you can ride a fat bike or you can ski or you can walk. I, I mean, it seems like a pretty wild adventure on a dog team that's doing a lot of the <laughs> <laughs> motion <laughs> the motion work for you. But I just, I know it's a different breed of people. And so, you know, there's there's your real real distance, but you know, it's, it's an interesting side that I hadn't really heard of much or seen much of, you know, there's lots of people out there doing ski drawing. I think it's a great thing people can do with their dog and a lot of fun. I am not a skier by any means. I'd be like <laughs> you, I probably falling over every you know <laughs> couple of minutes, but it's much more accessible. Right. And that's totally, um, totally. Yeah. And, and I think that uh, any of these options with dog sports where you can get less dog numbers and make it more accessible to the general public is, is even better. So what's the community like for ski joring up in, in Yukon? Do you have quite a community up there doing it? It seems to come in like ebbs and flows. You know, a, a lot of people were really into it and then had a litter of dogs and then had too many dogs to ski jor. So they started mushing. I know there's there's a handful of people. I mean, us included. Um, when we when we left the when I left the guiding and we just took our own dogs. I mean, a lot harder pressed to get out running. And we've got we've got six running dogs. We just got a small kennel, and so to leave a couple behind to go out, it's just not really feasible as much. So you know, I've ended up sledding a whole lot more than we have ski drawing. We ended up having kids, and so one one of us has got to stay home with the kids instead of. It would be perfect if we didn't have kids. We did two awesome little three dog teams to go ski touring with. Kids changed that a bit, and I, and I think that's kind of been the the scene. So it's kind of ebbed and flowed with that. Had a lot more recreational people start coming out to ski tour with their pet dogs, which is great. Nobody's really doing any kind of distance right now. No, we've got two or three really competitive racers that that sprint and travel to alaska and, and do kind of some sprint races there they they travel around and do that which is awesome uh, excellent so what sort yeah. of um racing do you have up there or do you have regular just group you know meetups where you're getting together to to go out or what is there in, in whitehorse or the area in terms of uh, ski touring races or just races in yeah. general ski ski touring um, the Dog Powered Sports Association of Yukon try to do a race every every month or so, and that's usually a ten mile race. Um, and they have a a sled category, um, a ski tour category, 
and then a kind of a, a rec class. I think they've started calling it a rec class category. So we're getting out and doing 10 mile ski tours there. We have the carbon hill that happens every year. That's probably now, if, that's about a 40 mile race. I think you and Connor talked about that one. It's a handful of us used to ski tour it and now people are just kind of into the shorter distances, but that was a fantastic race when we were ski touring that 40 mile run. Um, and then we used to have a, a mid distance race that kind of seems to ebb and flow with how volunteers are doing and, and what they're doing during the race season. That was, we tried to keep around 80 to 140 miles. I think it kind of swung back and forth depending on snow conditions or whatever. And there's Yukon Quest, Yukon Quest 100, which is an awesome trail for ski drawing, but I don't even know if they've considered putting a ski drawer category. Probably not. Um, but I, I think that would be a really cool one to get people into. The run from Whitehorse to Braeburn is a super well-maintained trail. It's broken into two 50-mile runs, which is perfect for long-distance ski drawing. Um, so is it 100 to- miles out, or is it a, a return trip? The, it, it runs to Braeburn, so it's just, yeah, it stops in Braeburn, so 100 miles up the trail. Well, I mean, the argument could be made that if you sent the ski jores after the dogs, right? Like, where are you going to be in terms of speed? Are you going to be similar to dog running speeds, you know, 8 to 10 or plus miles an hour? Is that where ski joring would be for 100 miles, or is it slower? Uh, again, it depends on the skier. <laughs> <laughs> we were we were really in the in the, the the thick of things. I would say the last race I did was uh, 140 miles. So it was 70 miles in, six hour lay, layover. Um, and I think I came in it was like the third or fourth fastest team coming in there out of I don't know 10, 15. I forget how many were signed up that year. And we we punched out a 70 mile run in six hours and 45 minutes. Oh my gosh! Okay. Yeah. I mean. It seems, I mean, the dogs would do it, right? We know that. The dogs yeah. would do it. Certainly yeah. pulling a sled. It's a matter of you being able to keep that up for it, exactly. 70 miles is the more shocking part of it to me. Exactly. I mean, you always talk about the person being the weak link in the chain. When you're ski joring, it's definitely you, the weak link in the, in the <laughs> there's, there's little in doubt the, on this. On in the side. chain, yeah. Yeah. Um, we, had, we had a girl up here. She was a fantastic skier, and she had great dogs. And she was she was crushing everybody. That forty mile race I was talking about, I I think she did that in a, in an hour forty five one time. She blew the record out of the water. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh! Like I I can't. Yeah. <laughs> how did? Yeah. I could be wrong on that. How time, did dogs run that fast for that long? It's yeah. Like I uh, I don't like it's when she, sprint speeds, but for you know that long, I'm surprised. You know, obviously yeah. she, she was helping. <laughs> her yeah, bit, she, but... she was helping. Yeah, but I mean, when she showed up at a race, it was like, all right, who's coming in second? Yeah, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Well, I mean, from a race perspective, you know, you would you would think there's some way to to find an option. You know, if there's the demand for it and the trail's already there, I look at it from the sense of, you know, how much more work is it, right? And another heat to send out. I mean, I'm just thinking from you know not wanting them to pass on the trail, but I'm sure it wouldn't be unusual from, you know, passing other teams on training runs, right? If no, you're training it's... for that long, you probably pass a dog team up there at some point. Yeah. It's no, it's no real different. And we kind of played around with that quite a bit where to start the ski drawers. It was like, Oh, we don't want to pass any ski drawers. So we'll send them out last. And then 
people were catching up to dog teams anyway. Um, and then we kind of all asked to go out first because dog poop is absolutely treacherous to skiing. It's like hitting sand. <laughs> it's like hitting sandpaper. Your skis just come to a dead halt. You go, you go head over the tips of your skis. And I mean, I've landed in dog poop because of it. You know, you go from whatever, 10, 12 miles an hour to complete stop landing your face in dog poop. It's so, so we asked to go out first so we could avoid the dog poo mostly. And then, then it was like, oh, whatever, just draw, draw a number. And you guys, you guys are mixed in with, with the sleds and everything seemed to go fine. Well, it's yeah. certainly fair, right? I mean, you are mm-hmm. where you end up, right? Like exactly. the draw yeah. Yeah. or in order of registration, however teams uh, or races do that. Yeah. Right. So that seems pretty, uh, pretty exciting. I'm sure there's, if you had enough of you, I'm sure they'd be willing to figure something out. Have you been um, to other races outside? Like, did you travel much for for racing outside the area? No, we 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 had enough going on um, with those ten mile races every every month, and then I guess we would sign up for maybe three longer distances. So we'd do that forty mile run, and then the one that Dipsy would put on. And then the silver sled that we were talking about there earlier, that was another 100-mile race. So between that, my wife and I just kind of stayed in territory. And there were no, to my knowledge, there were no other longer-distance races for ski drawers happening. So I guess maybe we could have reached out, but who knows what kind of reaction we would have got to that. But it seemed like a busy enough race season with work and, and family life to do to do that many races a year it's pretty pretty okay for us yeah so being that you work full-time you said you had kids i and you know you got six running dogs maybe you got an extra one around retiree or something but <laughs> yeah how exactly. do you sort of balance that all of that out with dogs and training and especially with some of the longer distance stuff right now we've kind of left the racing aspect there for for a bit and we're really focused on doing stuff with the kids so we're we're really all about getting the kids out mushing. Um, built the kick sled, and my son, who's going to be five in February, he started driving that two years ago, and and he's every weekend he's like, "Can I take my kick sled out? I want two dogs now." Um, so now my girl, who's she's going to be three in January, she's like, "Where's my kick sled? Where's my kick sled?" So we're we're out there. <laughs> with the four dogs team and then, then the kids have got two now. So uh, we're more focused on that, I guess, focused on the next generation of mushers. Just having fun with what we got really is, is the focus right now. Well, that sounds fantastic. You know, yeah. a great, great family experience, you know, having them all out enjoying what's, what's there. And, and certainly with smaller dog numbers is quite a bit more manageable in terms of time. Yeah, so, totally. Do, do you anticipate uh, your kids are going to get more involved? Are they more sled or ski at this point? Not, not skiing. I mean, they're they're too young to ski, drawer and and I <laughs> I can't be bothered to <laughs> go out with skiing without dogs. I've been out, I think, <laughs> twice since I've been up here, and I just I looked at everybody that was with. I was like, "You guys are crazy to do this without dogs." I, I know it's a great sport; it's a great way to get out in the woods and and get your physical activity in. But it's hard work, man. <laughs> it's really, really hard work. 
and I, I just, <laughs> I don't enjoy it without dogs. So I don't, and, and I, I can't get anywhere anyway. I just end up tired and in the same spot. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's whatever people find that works for them. Right. Um, I'm, I'm like you, I'd want to do it just to have, you know, my, my dogs with me, you know, and, and I am not much of a skier, that's for sure. But, you know, it's, um, it's still a lot of fun to get out, whatever that might be. So where, where do you see the, the ski drawer side of it, you know, going, where, where do you see this going? Do you see more long distance stuff in the future? Do you see more short races? What, what do you think this looks like in a few years? Not just for you, I mean, in, ge- in general with the, the sport. I think definitely the, the shorter stuff for sure it has been picking up. And, and like like you said, it's a great way to get in the sport. Anybody can do it. You only need a couple dogs. You can have you can have two dogs and live in town and, and still be still be a competitive racer kind of thing, you know? The distance stuff, I would I would like to see it get going again, but it'll take the individuals to to get out there and, and push the races to include the ski drawers in those in those longer distance. It was a bit of a not a struggle because the, the community up here is was super super close and like you know, you're racing against your friends kind of thing. But it, it was a bit of a hard push to be to say, We we can do this too, you know? Like we can be where you guys are. Not not everywhere. You you can't you can't ski drawer everywhere. People talk about the Percy and the jumble ice, like ski drawers have got no no place being out there. It doesn't sound fun on a sled. It definitely won't be fun on a on skis. It would be cool. It would be cool if the Canadian Challenge threw in a, a hundred mile ski drawer race. The your guys's course sounds awesome, minus the cold maybe that everybody seems to talk about. <laughs> well, there uh, is a very. I certainly would have no concerns about having a discussion about how to how to make that work. Well, there's a very vibrant you know, cross country ski community in La Ronge. you know, they have races, uh, there as well. I believe the first weekend in March, they have their big races up there. So it's not really far away. I know there's also a fat tire bike race that occurs on the, on the similar trail. I think that happens in March as well. So, I mean, we're, we own no part of the trail. It doesn't belong to the Canadian challenge or or any individual, it's it's for there for everybody to use. And I think if we can get more people using the trail, then it helps to to one justify the the work and effort and money it takes to put a trail in. But also, you get to spread that cost a little bit, mm-hmm. right? I mean, it's just it's yeah. a lot of work to put in a trail, as you know, you you you've helped there too, I'm sure. Um, you know, to to put a trail in and and do that sort of work, it takes a lot, and to have more people use it and and be a part of an event is, is all wonderful to me. So, I mean, people that want to do it, if you're interested in, uh, you know, getting more distance stuff, I'm, I'm sure, you know, people can, can reach out, talk to your local ski club. That's, that's probably where I'd start and see what's available in your area who might be able to help you if you're looking at getting into it or just band together as a group of people that might be interested in doing some a little more long distance and, and, uh, get a conversation started really i think that's all it takes right a yeah. phone call from one person saying hey you know i want to come down and do it you're gonna go <laughs> oh, okay 
right? <laughs> but 10 people call and say, hey, you know, it's like 10 of us who want to come down and do this thing. It's it's totally different in my mind. Yeah. So, yeah, you know, you fair. get the, the people interested, you know, then, then it's great. And, and there will be, like you said, ups and downs. You know, we see that in the sled side as well. You know, some years you got lots, some years not. Some races more popular or distances more popular than others. That just changes with the times. So, you know, I, I, I think that any race that's interested, I know uh, Caledonia Classic, they do have ski jour there, but I believe it's short, you know, a few miles. Yeah, it's always um, sprint stuff, yeah. Yeah, which again, I'm sure if somebody in that area said, hey, I want to come and do the 100-mile trail on skis, right? Like, why not start that conversation? That, that's where mm-hmm. it needs to begin. Totally. And I, I think, I think it's mostly, um, I think it's a mental barrier. I think for people to not want to go a little bit further, um, with their dogs, it's, it's comfortable to stay at 10 miles on a groom trail. It's a little less comfortable to go a little further, go into the night, um, you know, have a polk and bring your supplies. It's a little more intimidating, especially if you have nobody around that's done it before, you know, it takes a, a a certain kind of individual to be like, yeah, why not? Why not go and and try that and see how it goes? So when I came up here, I was pretty fortunate that there was a core group of people that had done it, had taken that initial step to figure out what equipment worked, figured out like, uh, you know, I don't know how to ski on on these these trails and how to take care of yourself out there in, in the cold and and what what to wear what not to wear what to what to pack in your sled and that kind of stuff and when it, you know, once you yeah. get to those longer distances it introduces those added elements of you know what are you going to do for rest you're going to carry a lot with you at this point i don't know if that's in a you know polk like you said or people can you know wear a backpack or some sort of pack with them. But, you know, how much are people doing that at 10 miles and under? I'm sure that's non-existent. No, exactly. So, yeah. Especially when you're talking about an hour or less, right? Like you're probably not (laughs) even worried about stopping to snack dogs or, right? Like it's just, it's just go, let's get her done. Well, you can have a snack when you get to the vehicle, (laughs) right? Like it's, well, I mean, you're talking about an hour, no different than if you took anybody on a sled out and said, we're going to do it, you know, 10 miles. It's not a thought, right? What do you need to put in the sled? Not much. No, exactly. But yeah, I mean the, the, the cold, I don't think, I mean, people can dress for, for the cold, right? At some point, (laughs) maybe it's harder to do on skis. But, uh, you know, when you move from working really hard to, to not doing much, I'm sure that's when you need the extra layers, you know, terrain probably isn't too much of a concern. I mean, we do have some areas that are narrower uh, in terms of trail, but it's certainly something you can drive a snowmobile down. So we're talking about three and a half feet wide, four feet wide, something like that. And then it's a lot of, uh, a lot of lake and portage. So, you know, as, uh, you know, Marcel Marin put when we did his episode, he said, you know, it's fantastic because you get, you know, these narrow portages and it's kind of short. And, and then, you know, in his case, it's like, oh, the dogs, I just kind of slowed them down and we took our time. And then we got back out on the lake and it's like, hey, just let them go. 
and mm-hmm. you know away they go which i'm assuming would be similar uh concept for you on the skis right let's get controlled through the trees <laughs> or you can crash into something right and then we get yourself out on the lake and it's all right it's go time right we can make the trail as wide as we need and and really let people speed up so it's uh it's it's a good portion we like it obviously but there's certainly a lot of uh, snowmobile trail here in Saskatchewan that could be used. It's definitely wide enough. It's on public land for the most most part of it. So certainly That's a lot of trail good. options um, out here in addition to whatever they have going for, you know, specific to skiing. So there's lots of fat bikers out there too that are doing the same thing. So get on the trail and go and do it, right? Exactly. Go go and try it. You might like it. And in, in all honesty, I'm not a huge fan of going just 10 miles my feet hurt the dog it's crazy for the first 10 miles after 10 plus miles it gets a lot more fun i think ski jordan the dog settle into a pace you settle into a pace it's it's a bit more blissful i think than kind of holding on for your for dear life i think less chaotic then yeah yeah totally and, and again in, in in my own personal opinion I, you know from from a sled perspective i would agree i think after the first especially if you've been training longer right if if all you ever do is 10 miles then that's what they're going to do and and that's awesome but when you start training for longer mileage they sort of settle in at 10 and go okay like this you know we talked a lot about it with guests last year on the podcast talking about like at what point in the race did they sort of settle down and because the dogs don't know how far you're going (laughs) right they have no idea so if you're done at 10 miles then they're done but once they realize you're going farther especially if a lot of your stuff is that distance, you're going farther now, it goes, okay, let's get on a pace that's that's something we can do for a while here. And and so, you know, I think that's that's just a different side of dog sports. And that's really why I wanted to, to get you on, which I appreciate you reaching out um, and wanted to be on here. Um, you know, love highlighting other aspects of dog sports and, and what people do. Is there a suggested resource that you would direct people that might be interested in learning about ski joring? Is there a particular uh, group or website or something that you can recommend? Oh, I don't really, I don't really know. We just, I don't know. kind of figured it out ourselves up up here. Um, For us, the dog powered sports association of Yukon, they're on Facebook and stuff like that. That's probably the best for us up up here. And I, I know we have, people who like that page from all over the country um that might be a good place to start other than that i, I really don't i really don't know okay well, Lo- i'm sure people yeah. can can work whatever search engine they prefer and and find lots of resources out there i know okay. it's this is not just a canadian thing. you know ski joring is uh, certainly popular in other parts of the world you know um europe in particular you see a lot of uh, yeah. ski joring over there um, I'm assuming it to be quite competitive from, you know, different classes of dogs. One, two seem pretty common. Is it, um, where do you see those, uh, those dog numbers? Like, is it, is it usually two, one, or are people taking more than that? Usually in the, in the, the sprint type scenarios, 10 and under it's one, one to two dogs. Usually, um, when we started making race rules for the ski drawers, we capped it at four or for our particular races, we had it at four, uh, one race, somebody ran five dogs. Once you got to the checkpoint, she went back down to four. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's, it's quite a bit. 
Um, I know my wife doesn't like running any more than, than three. It's quite a bit to handle, I would say. But I, I'd say two dogs is probably it's probably the most common. You got a lot of power with, with two good, strong dogs. I mean, Excellent. So it, I know people love hearing about dogs and and I don't ask people to pick a favorite because that's, that's not fair. Um, but what I like asking about is a dog that maybe stepped up in a critical portion or has really exceeded expectations on what you may have had or what you thought they were capable of on, you know, over their life or a particular run, training run, race or anything. I mean, I've had a lot of great dogs throughout the years. Um, the wife my dog had when I met her, quite something I, I didn't much care for her when I met her and she didn't much care for me it's kind of added to everything she she just she did her own thing and that was kind of that was kind of it um but she definitely exceeded expectations from everybody my wife was handling for Michelle Phillips and Ed Hopkins this I think this was an accidental litter sprint dog mixed with a, with a, another dog that they weren't planning on having she broke toe they didn't figure she was going to run ever um, I think she was free running the bush and got a stick in her chest and like, okay, this dog is like never running ever again, ever again. Um, and then she turned out to be this fantastic dog, just absolutely fantastic, small little thing, houndy type, like she was awesome. And then when we got to know each other, she turned into this fantastic dog for me too. So that was pretty cool to have that bond with. I remember we were, we were, I had my ski drawing team, my wife's ski drawing team, Together, I don't know my wife couldn't go for a run, so I, I hooked all seven of them up to a sled. And we were 50 miles into a 60 mile run, and we were starting up this trail with a 3,500 foot elevation, elevation gain. And uh, she started barking and just she kicked her team up. We were going fast up this hill, and she knew where she was going. She knew we were going up 3,500 feet, barking and pulling. I had time to pull my GPS out, and she had us going 18 miles an hour uphill, <laughs> 50 miles into a run. Oh, smokes. And she went like that for probably a mile or so before she settled down. And But just a fantastic dog. And just one of those stories that this dog's not supposed to be able to run. And then she just does this, all these incredible things. That's exactly why I asked that question. Because there's <laughs> usually a dog that people, maybe they, you know, got from another kennel or they had an injury or they were never a lead dog. And then all of a sudden they needed to be and, you know, the, the need came and they stepped up to it. It's just, I, I love those parts of, of the dog stories where they, you know, cause I, I think a lot of people can pick, you know, this one I think is the, the best one right now, or, you know, that, you know, this one does the best right now, or this one's the best last night, or, you know, those ones are a little easier to pick out, but, you know, hearing that, that story of, you know, overcoming some injury and, you know, maybe not the right breeding for, you know, that particular kennel and finds a home, finds a job, finds a, you know, sport that obviously she loved doing if she's going to dra drag you up a hill that quickly. <laughs> right. Um, you know, it's just, it's just wonderful to hear before we close out for today. I, I know that with larger kennels and dog, bigger dog teams, you know, it takes a lot of work, but even with a smaller kennel doing this, it takes a lot of work. So is there anybody uh, that you want to thank or give a shout out to that uh, makes all this possible? My wife, Cynthia, we're kind of a, a two person show and she's kind of stuck with me through it all. And uh, yeah, it's pretty much us doing it. 
I mean, I was fortunate to to run dogs up at Sky High, and they gave me the opportunity to to have dogs to get into racing. So thanks to them, that's kind of still my second home. I'm not doing anything up there with them anymore, but it's still a place that's close to my heart. And but yeah, pretty much we're just we're just uh, kind of doing our own thing here. So well, yeah. I think it's fantastic to be able to find somebody that you you know can share this this passion together. And there's variations of, of all of it, right? You know, other couples that, you know, both participate in some cases, one of them doesn't, and they, you know, take up a lot of the, you know, the household, the homestead, the dog yard sort of tasks. And so it's always great to see people that, uh, that do it. So how do you pick the teams then? Because you say you got six. How do, how do you choose? Do you have the dogs that are mostly the ones that you run and mostly the ones that she has? Or is it like you draw names out of a hat? <laughs> how do you choose when you uh, when you both were going out racing? Uh, when we were both going out racing, I had four tour dogs. And uh, my wife poached one of, one of my dogs. So she had her three and we had her our four. Um, now we kind of just balance out what's what's going to work what's going to fit together we've kind of got a mixture of ages and so either spread it depends on what we're doing we either spread out the dogs evenly or we'll make like a fast team and and go with that so we've definitely got three dogs that are faster than the rest of them so if we're if we're going to a 10 mile race or something those are those are the ones that are going on that team and and the other team will pull up the rear (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, again, always a fun part where, you know, some are, you know, s- separated in the sense of these are typically mine and those are theirs and others where they're, you know, drawn names out of a hat and, and whatnot. So always fun to do that. Um, how have you how have you picked up a bunch of these dogs? Um, you know, do you do any of the breeding on your own or have you gone out and, and got them as puppies or do you? Uh, tend to get them more in the adult ages um everything you said we've done <laughs> i would <laughs> i would say um there's so many dogs up here there's so many good dogs that are looking for homes that we we we've kind of just picked them up we we've got one that we specifically bred we we're going to share with a with another muster up here and then she only ended up having one dog so we ended up with him and uh we've got one one dog from a litter that we tried we tried to to have the that litter happen twice and it never happened and then the male got super old and we didn't think he could produce and all of a sudden he had a litter and it was kind of a surprise so we got one of them and the tour business got the rest of them and they loved those dogs they were perfect dogs for for touring big strong i mean one of those dogs was worth two other dogs so it was perfect for the tourism business um and then we've picked some up from just other people other people have litters uh picked some up from somebody he had a litter of all small females and he had a bunch of small females and we like running small females (laughs) i was in his yard and i was just petting his dogs and this dog jumped up in my lap and she curled right in and we weren't even looking for another dog and i said i'll take her home if you don't want her (laughs) uh he said uh i don't know i don't know and then he called me up in the summer and was like yeah you can come get her and i think you can have her sister okay (laughs) <laughs> so we went out and we we uh we picked those two up so we we just trying to keep we try to keep six running dogs um and they're they're all kind of staggered in age so when one or two retire then we'll pick up two dogs from from whoever else 
it's got it's got extra, and we just try to try to keep the numbers small that way. Um, so we're not really planning on doing any breeding. We don't want to get stuck with with six dogs. Yeah, well, and I think to yeah. to stagger the ages helps to keep the numbers from getting too too high too quickly. For right? sure, if you had I mean, them all, if you had a litter, right, that litter is going to start running at the same time. They're going to retire around the same time, and you're exactly. going to have a house full of retirees. Yeah, which I'm which sure is, the dogs is... wouldn't mind, but <laughs> it's, it's it's a lot to tackle. Well, I really appreciate you, you know, taking the time to chat and fill people in about ski joring and this this other side of dog sports, which I think is awesome. And and uh, you know, introduced me to long distance ski joring. I didn't know such a thing existed. It seems a little uh, a little uh, a little out there to me. But uh, I I also think people that want to let it dog drag them while they run seems kind of out there but <laughs> lots of people love doing that too so no i really appreciate you taking the time to join us do you have a website or or anything you want to social media or anything you want people to to follow you along at you want to mention it we can certainly include down below if anybody wants to if not we're okay with that too yeah no we're just we're just doing our own thing just having fun with it I don't like being on social media at the best of times, China. <laughs> well, you saw, you we'll saw throw... how long it t- you saw how long it took me to get connected here to talk to you. That's a, I wasn't going to mention that, but that's, a, yeah. that's okay. It, it takes some time. Um, some of these days, what we'll do is we'll include a link down to the Dog Powered Sports Association Yukon. Sounds like they're uh, heavily involved in the Skajor side, and if you don't know someone or can't find someone, they might be able to point you in the right direction. So. Um, Adam, thanks again. Appreciate the time. And uh, until next time, goodbye. All right. Thank you.